Which is more important in our salvation, getting the gospel right or getting our doctrine right? Or is it both on this slice of fresh bread? Welcome to Fresh Bread, a podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church, Gainesville, with Pastor Brandon and Pastor Keith. Well, thanks for clicking on Fresh Bread, Fresh Bread Podcast 41. Fresh Bread, where we're bringing the truth of God's Word to a starving world. I'm Pastor Keith, he's Pastor Brandon. And on this edition of Fresh Bread, we're going to talk a little bit about which is more important in our salvation. Is getting the gospel right or getting doctrine right, or is it both? So, Pastor Brandon, as we, as we look at this topic, is there a right and wrong way to give the gospel, or does it really even matter? Well, I think if, you're, if you mean in terms of the completeness of the gospel, I think there is, it does matter. I think that we do need to be clear as to what the gospel is and it, what it includes. And you know, I think that in the world that we live in today, maybe in the past, in the church and, and in, in the culture, we could get away with being able to make, make assumptions that people know or have a certain level of knowledge that allows us, allowed us to base, basically truncate the gospel, if you will. Let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean is, is that there's an, there's an understanding that God is the God of the universe and a general understanding that I'm accountable to him in the culture itself. Whereas I think we're in the culture that we live in today, I think that there that that is being lost. That we're less of that type of culture. We're we're less of a culture that understands who God is and and understands that He's the the sovereign of over the universe and that I'm accountable to Him. That understanding is going away. And so when I when I share the gospel, I think in the culture that we're in, a need to ensure that that we're even talking about the same God. You know that we're talking about the God of the universe, that we're talking about the creator God, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, that we're talking about, you know, the, the God who created everything and the God that we're accountable to. It has to, you know, the gospel has to start with an understanding of, of, of him and who he is and our, our accountability to him. It also has to, to start with, you know, the concept of sin and understanding that because I'm sinful, because of because of my sin, I fall short of God, of fall short of His glory, and what that actually means is that there's a there's a gap between me and Him. There's this chasm that I can't cross between Him and me, and coming to an understanding that God has created me to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, but I can't have a relationship with him because I'm because of, of a, that separation my sin has separated me from him and I can't have that relationship and that's where Christ and the work of Christ comes in and and so I think the gospel definitely needs to you know that well I know ultimately that I need to trust Christ that I need to trust him as my as my Lord and my Savior and that what he's accomplished on the cross is has atoned for my sin, has covered my sin. I, those things need to be presented, and you know, I, I, I need to be careful not to present the gospel as something, you know, your best life now. Um, I need to be careful not to make assumptions that a person has the, you know, this 
knowledge because the culture has this intrinsic intrinsic knowledge of of who God is. I need to make sure I don't make that mistake, and and so I need to be careful in when I share the gospel. And it's interesting because just as a as a side note, you know Romans, the book of Romans one through sixteen. You know Paul wrote that as you could say an apologetic for the gospel. You know that he mm. that he's wrote it to explain his gospel, the gospel, uh, the gospel that he preached. And so you know you you think about how intricate and how well argued that entire book is, and that's that's the gospel that that Paul preached. I think that that's that's how that was his mindset in preaching the gospel. I think when he went to this, you know Thessalonica, as an example, you know I think I think he preached that gospel. It's interesting that you know when he writes the letters of Thessalonians to them, you know there's a there's a level of knowledge that they have that they could have only had if Paul preached and taught that. And he and he wasn't there very long. I mean, he was only there I mean, a, a short amount of time. And and yet, when you read these letters, the amount of doctrine that come, you know, that we derive from First and Second Thessalonians that he expected them to understand and know is incredible. And so, you know, you ask if there's a, a right way or a wrong way to present the gospel. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think I would stick with what, you know, what Paul's modeled, you know, in, in Thessalonica, what Paul modeled in, in other places, you know, obviously that he, that he went and how he preached the gospel. We see that laid out in the book of Romans. Okay, I'd like to play you a gospel presentation made by Rick Warren. And just, and just tell me what you think of this. Is, this. is this a good way of presenting the gospel or a wrong way of presenting the gospel? Here's Rick Warren. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're not sure of this, maybe you've gone to church all your life, maybe you've never been in church. It doesn't matter. I'd like the privilege of leading you in a prayer to settle this issue, that you are connected to Christ. So let's bow our heads together. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can follow it silently in your mind. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to know your purpose for my life. I don't want to waste the rest of my life on wrong things. Today, I want to take the first step in preparing for eternity by getting to know you. Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but as, as much as I know how, I want to open up my life to you. I ask you to come into my life and make yourself real to me and use this series in my life to help me know what you made me for. Thank you. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to congratulate you. You've just become a part of the family of God. Is that the gospel? No, I mean, it. it's not. It's not the gospel because it doesn't tell me it doesn't tell me anything about who God is. It doesn't tell me anything about God, God's holiness, you know, that God is the creator, God is holy. And it doesn't tell me that, I have, that I've sinned and that I've offended a holy God, you know, that I, that, that, and that sin, his holiness, because of his holiness and because of my sin, that I can't have a relationship with him. And the at my and and it doesn't tell me that my greatest need is to have a relationship with him. That 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 actually is my greatest need. That's the center, the sinner's greatest need is to have a relationship with the, the their creator. And and so it doesn't tell me any of those things. It doesn't help me see the ultimately it doesn't help me see my need for for this. I mean for a, a relationship with him. And so you know that's that. I think that's a that is when I say truncated gospel, 
when I say when I use that word, what I meant was is there are certain things that you could assume potentially that a person would know just because they of the culture that around them that they would understand. Whereas today we don't have that luxury to 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 assume that they have a certain level of knowledge from their family or from you know from you know going to church or whatever they just don't we can't can't make that assumption. But the gospel that you just shared, or that it falls well, well short of what I would understand Scripture to teach in terms of sharing the gospel. Is yes. it because you didn't mention anything about repentance? Well, I how think, important is that? You know, it's interesting because repentance is important, but I think it's more an understanding of who we are in light of who He is. Mm. Like I'm, I to understand that you know what it means that God is holy. And you know that I'm a sin, that I'm a sinner, that I'm that I'm sinful, and understand that God, because of God's holiness, He can't look upon sin with favor. That He can't. That's that's Habakkuk one thirteen, by the way. That there's He can't, you know, He his, He can't approve evil, and I'm evil, and and that that creates this separation, and and so you know, an understanding of that. You know that that would yes lead to repentance and turning from him, but I think that what we have to be careful with is not to make repentance into into a work. Mm. You know that ultimately it's believing in Christ and what Christ has accomplished. It's ultimately, I would say, positive more positive than negative. That believing in him, believing in Christ, believing in what he's accomplished, and and bridging that gap between between me and, and God, between me, you know, the, me and the Father. So it, it's, it's understanding Christ dying on the cross. What was the purpose of him dying on the cross is because I'm a sinner and I need, I need that salvation. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I need, he, he, he accomplished what I could never have yeah. accomplished. And, and because of what he accomplished, I can, because of what he did, and living the perfect life and dying for sin and taking upon himself the wrath of of the father because of what he did i can i can now have i can now have eternal life because of because of what he did um, but understanding having an understanding of to a to a certain degree an understanding of that of my need for that right i and that's the that's that's what we have to get people to is to understand that they have a need for, you know, that they have a need for that because of their sinfulness, because of who they are before, before God, you know, the Lord. It's understanding that it was your sin, because sometimes people can understand Christ dying on the cross, but they died not for my sins, but for your sins, because I'm not that bad of a sinner. And when that hits you, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, that, when we, that conviction of sin, absolutely. Yeah. You realize, you recognize, oh, well, well, I'm, I'm a I'm I'm a sinner before I mean before a holy God and it's interesting you know Isaiah um, Isaiah six I always love that passage because Isaiah you know says you know I'm a I'm just, he either he comes to a realization he's there in the you know in the in the presence of the Lord in the in the temple and it you know he comes to this realization that he's a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. He comes, he sees the holiness of God. He recognizes the holiness of God. And the first thing he, he 
the first thing he co- that comes to his mind is that he's not, he's undone. You know, this idea that I can't I can't exist in the presence of holiness. That I'm because I'm a sinner because of, because there's darkness in me. I can't exist in this position. And you see this a similar thing with John in in Revelation chapter one, where you know the risen Christ appears to John. And, you know, John sees him, and it says in Revelation 1, it says that he fell like a dead man. I mean, he, he mm. you know, that, that, that was his response to, to the holiness of Christ, was that he fell, you know, before him as a dead man. And, you know, that, I think that's, a, that's, that's what we have to recognize is what has to come. There has to be this recognition of how wretched we are. You know, there's this wretchedness about me, and and I and I can't stand before a holy God. Yet He is extending this offer of grace, this offer of covering my sin. And I think that that we have to get them to the point of understanding that. You know, when I say them, those who are yeah. we're sharing the gospel with. I think what happens, and we we you know we I asked the question earlier, the right and wrong way. I think the wrong way to present the gospel would be it you don't want it to be something simply you're adding you're adding Christ to your life <laughs> it's almost like you're at a buffet right and you're kind of picking and choosing what you want to add so my life i i feel my life is going nowhere i feel like i don't have a purpose you know what i'm going to add Christ to the mix and see if that helps absolutely yeah it's interesting because i at first thessalonians i think is very helpful to me in understanding the power of the gospel and and what you're talking about you know first Thessalonians chapter chapter 1 verse 5 for our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the holy spirit and with full assurance just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and so you know Paul and his team came into Thessalonica and they preach the gospel. And, you know, Paul is saying that the gospel that they preached didn't come in word only. It wasn't just empty words that he, that he taught. It wasn't something that, it wasn't just this rote information that didn't matter. It actually had power. And, and, you know, he says it, it came, you know, in, in, in power and in the Holy Spirit. And, there was this full assurance of faith that, that they had turned from, from you know their their former way of life he even goes on to say you know that he's he's defending himself in the sense of defending the ministry in you know in first Thessalonians and he in chapter one he says for they themselves report you know report about us what kind of an entrance we had with you what kind you know how we came to you and you know speaking of when you know Paul and his team came to Thessalonica and what happened and what Paul is doing is he's appealing to the power of the gospel the power of the ministry of the gospel and what he did and what was accomplished you know through the power of the Holy Spirit he's he's pointing at that and he's saying look but here's what's even more powerful to me he says how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And what Paul is saying there is that, you know, the gospel came in power. We preached the gospel. We told you who, you know, who God is. We preached Christ. We preached, you know, re- you know turning from your sin. And what we saw was 
that you turn from these em- the emptiness of the world, the emptiness of your false religion, and the emptiness of your idols, and we turn you you turn to serve a living and true God. Now, what's interesting is in verse chapter two, verse one, First Thessalonians two one, he says, "For you yourselves know, brother brothers." that our entrance to you was not in vain. Now, I don't want to put too much emphasis on this, on, on well, I do want to, I mean, it is a verb tense, and it's interesting because that verb tense there and it didn't become vain is actually the perfect, I believe. And, and what's interesting is what Paul is saying is that it didn't become vain, meaning that they were saved during that visit during when Paul and his team came to Thessalonica, they were saved. And the greatest proof of the power of the gospel and the efficacy or the, or the, the power of even their own ministry was the fact that they were still saved. They were still saving. They, they, they turned from idols to serve a living and true God at the time that Paul and, and the team preached the gospel. But the, but the powerful, the, power of the testimony is that they were still serving a living and true God. Like they were, they continued to, and, and, you know, Paul had confidence that they would continue to do so. And because it was the true gospel, because they truly kind of came to understand who God was. And, and, you know, that's what, you know, Paul, that's how Paul preached the gospel. It wasn't just this pared down 30 second message that, you know, that you preach, you know, and you tell somebody to come walk the aisle or you do, wasn't any of that. It, I mean, if you, if you read first Thessalonians, you find that it was life on life. I mean, he, he gave himself to these people and he, he spent time with them and he pleaded with them and he taught them and he, and he poured into them. And, you know, that, that's how he preached the gospel. And I think that's what we need to strive to do, you know, here and here in, in our context, you know, and that doesn't mean that we can't go out and, and preach the gospel in different contexts in terms of, you know, street preaching, that sort of thing. I, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that, but, but, you know, I would say that, you know, if we're going to do things like street preaching, that's, that's casting a net to get, to get them into the church so that we can actually teach them and see them come, you know, see them progress as disciples. And so it, it's death to self, does that happen? Is that understandable right away, or is that something that's going to take? See, time? I see it as a process. You know, I think that the worst thing that we ever did was—I mean, I say worst thing. I, I, I you ever say, did? No, I think that I think it's not helpful. You know, as an example, to have you know a date written in your Bible that says on on this date I became a Christian. I mean, I think that there are people who would probably know kind of that moment that that they turned and that they, they did trust in, in Christ. I do think that they, there are people who understand that. For me, I, it was a process. And, you know, and I don't want to appeal to experience too much, but, I mean, I think that's what I see in Scripture is that it, there's a process of becoming a disciple. There's, a, there's, this, there, you know, there's this back and forth as, as the world tugs on you and, and as the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And when that you know, when, how the wind blows, like, you know, like Christ says in John three, the wind blows where it will. I, you know, that's so what it is with the Holy spirit. Somehow he works in the, in the heart and, and they become a believer. But I, I, I think it's a process. And I think that that's why it's important. You know, I, I would argue it's interesting that, you know, the gift of evangelism 
I think we tend to, I think because of guys like Charles Finney and, and even Billy Graham who go out and they preach the gospel, you know, you know, in, in certain contexts. And I think we've gotten to the point where we believe that, that evangelism or being an evangelist has simply to do with going out and just preaching the gospel. But I don't think that's the case. Because I, I think that evangelism has has as much to do with what Paul what Paul did in Thessalonica. I, I go back to Thessalonica. You know what what did he do? Well, he went into that city. He preached the gospel. Well, what was formed there? The church. Yeah. Right. And what did they do? They planted the church. And so it wasn't just it wasn't just we're going to go preach the gospel on the street and then you know we're going to move on. It was actually forming part of evangelism was actually forming and planting churches, you know, in these areas. And so, you know, we're, we, you know, obviously we have churches in, you know, in, in America where, you know, America is definitely well churched in the sense of, in the sense of having churches, right? We have plenty of churches. The city has hundreds of churches. And so, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, at this point, there's not necessarily a need to plant new churches, in a city like Gainesville, it, there's more of potentially a need to rehabilitate or or you know reestablish churches than there are than there is to to plant churches. But I think evangelism at its heart, at the heart of it, is is actually going into an area that's unchurched, like like Thessalonica, and preaching the gospel and seeing churches formed. I mean, and so you can see that you know today you could see that in in you know areas of Africa or areas of you know, Central America, things like that, where there aren't as many churches, you know, at least, at least, you know, Protestant Bible teaching churches, um, you know, where someone goes into an area and preaches the gospel and they see, you know, people convert and actually form churches and plant churches. I think that's more representative of what we see in the, in the New Testament. And so your question of, of, you know, doctrine and the importance of doctrine, well, I think it's incredibly important that we, that we not only, you know, it's not just making disciples. Making disciples is making someone who is a lifelong learner, someone who is is one who would follow Christ for a lifetime and learning about Him for a lifetime. The gospel, sound doctrine. There is doctrine in there. You know, knowing who God is, mm-hmm. knowing that we're sinners. That's all part of doctrine, right? The Bible talks about that. But to to, to understand everything in the Bible is not. It's not the the vital thing when you first are given the gospel. Because, sure, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, that, there's a it's a lifetime of of, of learning um, beyond a lifetime of learning to learn everything about who God is, and I mean, it's it's a, an eternity of learning. Yeah. I mean, it's not just. I mean, we're not going to stop learning about who God is, even even in this lifetime, and so, you know, we're going to continue to grow in understanding our understanding of Him. And, and that's the way it should be because he's infinite. There's no ending. There's no, there's, yeah. And so there has to be a beginning point. And, you know, what is that, what is the the minimum amount of knowledge that they need to, to come to know the Lord? I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but I would say for sure the minimum amount would be an understanding of, that there is a creator, some a rudimentary understanding of, of his holiness and what that means in terms of, you know, being an understanding of our sinfulness that there's a that that our sin has created this separation, an understanding of 
Christ and, you know, the per- perfection of Christ and, you know, that he was sinless and that he came in order to atone for our sins or to, to, to pay for our sins, to redeem us, that he went to the cross, that he bore the wrath that I, that I deserved and, and that I need to have faith in that, that there needs to be a belief in that and, and there needs to be a trust in him. I think those are elements that of the gospel that we need to that we need to get across in order for someone to come to to a saving faith of of Christ in Christ and and to come to understand and know who He is. But are we putting more value on God's word than than and not on the Holy Spirit? Are we guilty of that, or do you think it's a it's a combination? Well, I think what we have to recognize is that you know, according to Paul. You know, all Scripture is God breathed. That meaning that it's the it's the Holy Spirit. You know, that Peter says it in Second Peter one eighteen through twenty. I think it is. He says, you know, that that men were carried along by the by the Spirit. You know, there, that there's this. I mean, it's the they they wrote Scripture. I mean, that that the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. So it's you can't. I mean, he has chosen to reveal himself through his word. You know, Psalm 19, he's, he revealed himself in creation, Psalm 19, 1 through mm-hmm. 6, I think it is. And, you know, he's revealed himself by what he created, and we can see, and Paul says in Romans 1, that man is without excuse because, because he's revealed himself in creation. You know, that, that his invisible attributes are being, are being shown, you know, by what he created. But at the same time, at the same time, I can only know him. I can only know him, you know, and and understand who he is, or or gain an understanding of who he is through his word, like he, like who he is, have a and have a relationship with him through the, through his word. And so that's that's Psalm nineteen, you know, seven through the end of the chapter, or through the end of the psalm. And so, you know, I I I can only know him. Through through how what he's revealed himself to be through the word, but the word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I can't separate the word from the Holy Spirit's word. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I, he's the one. It's his idea. I mean, he's the one who's revealed himself in that way. And so if I if I begin to you know basically say it's all experience, it's all you know I it. You know that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal these things to me that way. You know, through you know whatever unction or whatever word you want to use for that. I think it's dangerous. It's dangerous because I anything. You know, if He reveals anything to me that that is antithetical or goes against His word, it's not true. It's not. It's not of the Holy Spirit. It's a. It's another spirit. It's. It's a demonic spirit, and so. You know, Jesus himself said in John 17, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. And so it's it's the word of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit that I can come to know him and understand who he is. And that is what sanctifies me, is what, you know, is what Jesus himself said. And, you know, even in this charismatic thing, this charis- the charismatic circles, it just becomes what I want to believe, what I want to be true. And I and and who becomes authoritative in that situation? Well, it ends up being you know the guy that's the who who supposedly has the most charisma, ends up being the 
you know, ends up being the leader in that, in those situations, as opposed to actually having a full understanding of the word and who he is. How much should we, how much should we place on our experiences compared to the Bible? Which, which should we rely on more? Well, I mean, it's interesting that Peter, Peter answers that question. Second Peter, starting in verse 16, he says, for we did not make known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. And what he's referring to there is, you know, when he went up on the mountain and Jesus transfigured himself before him. So that was, mm. that was an experience. So let's, let's make sure we understand. Peter is saying, I saw our Lord transfigured before me. I saw his glory. There were others with me who saw and beheld his glory. It is one of the most incredible experiences anybody could ever have received, right? Experience. So Peter says, he says, For when he received honor and glory from, the, from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, Peter is saying, I saw the Lord transfigure before me. I, I heard with my own ears what the Father said. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I had the most incredible experience that any person who's ever lived on this earth has ever experienced. That's what he's saying. I mean, and you know, that's ultimately what he's saying. And then he says this in verse 19. And we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what Peter is saying there that we have as more sure the prophetic word. He's saying that I had the greatest experience any human being could ever have in seeing the Lord transfigured before me and seeing and hearing the Father pronounce, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And what Peter is saying is, is that the word of God is more sure than even that experience. Mm. that it can it's more trustworthy than even that experience. And so, you know, if Peter can say that, then whatever whatever piddly experience that I might have, you know, you know, you have these guys that say, well, you know, the Lord appeared to me while I was shaving or you know, that the Lord drove with me down the street and you know, whatever story that they tell. And it all those things, they they pale. I mean, you have John who who had the Lord appear to him on the island of Patmos. You have Peter who talks about the situation on the the Mount of Trans Transfiguration. You have these experiences that so so much greater, and you have Peter saying, and we have as more sure the the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in the dark in a dark place. And then he says this, if you you know, he goes on to say, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, 
but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that goes back to the whole Holy Spirit and pitting the Holy Spirit against the Word. You can't do that because the Holy Spirit is the one who, who mm. inspired the Word. You can't pit the Word against the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit's Word. And oh, by the way, you know, John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that is a connection to, to our Lord. And so, and so, you know, Peter is saying that, you know, that Scripture is infinitely greater than our experiences. So what would, I, what would I say to someone who says that in terms of experience versus the Word? I'd say exactly what Peter said. I would say that I have, the, I have the, as more sure the prophetic Word. And what your experience is, is saying, if it, if it goes against the Word of God, it can't be true, hmm. is what I would say. Okay, wow. So when when Paul's talking about we need to renew our mind, yeah, Romans how does 12. the Holy Spirit renew our mind? Well, he uses the Word. It's through the Word, right? Yeah, it's, it's the Word. It's the Word that the Holy Spirit uses the Word in my, in my mind. It changes, it renews my mind through the truth. Connecting John 17, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth. That word sanctify has has to do with his similar washing, you know, renewing, that idea of being renewed. In Titus, it's the same word that is used in Titus chapter 3. Paul uses it in Titus chapter 3. Uh, he says, but when the, the kindness and affection of, of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit uses the word to to renew us, to to make us new. I mean, he it's the same it's the same word that, that Paul uses in Romans twelve twelve two. He says, Do not be conformed to this world will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so, you know, the this this idea of renewal has to do with the Holy Spirit working in our heart, but I think it's the truth of the word of God. I mean, he's being we're being sanctified. Again, going back to even John 17:17, 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. That word is truth. It's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to change my to change me from the inside out that it changes my affections, he changes who I am, you know, from the inside out, and it's the Word that actually is the is causing that to happen um, that in my heart. What would you say to someone that would say to you that, look, I, I just love Jesus, I don't want to, I don't want to squabble about doctrine, it doesn't matter, I just love Jesus and I just want other people to love Jesus, what would you say to that? I would say that's dangerous because who do you, how do you know who Jesus is? How do you know how do I know that I'm that I'm loving even the right Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, without knowing his word. You know, Jesus himself said if you love me you will obey my commandments. Well, how how do I know his commandments if I don't study mm-hmm. what he what he said? If I don't study who he is and and you know the things that that matter matter to him need to matter to me, and, and the only way I'm going to know what's, what really matters to him is if I study what he said, and the only way I'm going to know 
what I, and study what he said is if I read his word and understand his word. I mean, that's the only way we can that we can tr- truly grow in understanding of him because anything else is anything else is a God of our own making. I mean, that's the only way we can know who he is. Anything else is, is just make-believe. It's no different than Santa Claus. You know, we can just yeah. make up whatever we want to about Santa Claus, make up whatever story we want to. And, and you know, because there's no authoritative work that says this is who Santa is. So you can make anything up you want. And, you know, anything that people will accept, you know, that then, you know, we can rewrite the script. I can't do that with the Lord because his word reveals him. I, you know, that's who he is. He's, re- he's revealed himself in his word. It sounds like what you're saying is when you, when you get the gospel, when you hear the gospel, you, you, need to, you need to love and accept our Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, not just Savior. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, yes, I mean, I, that is absolutely the case, that, it's, that he's more than just my Savior. He is my Lord. Uh, he has to be my Lord and my Savior. I have to see him as the one who saved me, of course, but, but I have to understand that he now is my benevolent master. And, and the only way I'm going to know what he desires or what he, what he expects of me as, you know, as a, his slave is to know what he has said and, you know, to understand what he, what he wants of me. Is, is the only way I can do that is through his word. I mean, that is it. I mean, if you don't have the word, then everything goes. I mean, everything goes. I mean, it, it, you know, it's funny, Judges 21 and everyone did what is right in his own eyes. I mean, that is, you know, that that's the issue. That that ultimately is the issue, and that's the issue. These churches that are these charismatic churches that want to, you know, or even liberal churches that want to, you know, charismatic churches that want to go with experience, you know, liberal churches that don't want, you know, they want to get away from doctrine. The problem, the problem is, is that everyone is going to do what is right in his own eyes, and so it only takes a few generations. If, really less than a, a few generations. It only takes, you know, one or two or three generations and then all of a sudden it's a cha- it's chaotic. And mm-hmm. and there's no there's no truth because because the word is the truth. The word is what anchor anchors us to the true Christ, the, the true and living God. So to answer our question, which is more important in our salvation, getting the gospel right or getting doctrine right, I would say it's both. Well I, th- I don't think you can separate the two. Yeah, I think, it's all of you. I mean, I think even in even in preaching the gospel, we have to recognize that we're preaching doctrine. Hmm. I mean, I mean, doctrine is nothing more than you know yeah. teaching. I mean, I, it's it's nothing more than what you know what I'm te- you know what I'm teaching. So if I'm if I'm preaching the true gospel, I'm teaching that gospel. I'm teaching doctrine when I preach the gospel, and and you know that's that's how I'm teaching about who God is. I'm teaching about sin. I'm teaching about um, the holiness of God. I'm teaching about um, you know Christ and what Christ has accomplished. I'm teaching about faith. I mean, that's the gospel, and and I and I have to have that has to be some level of doctrine for for people to understand those things. Mm, that's really good. Other, other than that, I mean, it's it's no different than believing in the tooth fairy. I mean, yeah, or I Santa, mean, or Santa, or you know, Easter Bunny, Peter Pan, or you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, all these things. I mean, I. I it's no different than that. I can I can just make it up as I go, yeah. and and that's problematic. I mean, it doesn't matter. You sh- anybody should see that, right? Anybody yeah. should see it's problematic. Just this is how I feel. Well, 
Um, so you mentioned you mentioned Santa. Isn't it amazing that if you just change a few letters, you get Satan, and he's he's wearing red. I think it's just two, right? Just flip them around. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny. Are you anti Santa? Satan Claus? No. Well, yeah. I mean, I am. I I we didn't teach our kids Santa. You know, our our thing was is that, you know, if I teach if I teach them Santa, and then, you know, then. I'm basically lying to my kids. And so how, how are they going to know then? I, I tell them at some point there's no Santa. Well, am I going to tell them at some point there's no Jesus? I mean, uh, there's a, I, 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 we, there's a, it's okay to have traditions, and I'm not, I'm not saying not to have traditions in terms of the holiday, but it is very, very, very important to teach your children, to take the opportunity to teach your children the real meaning you know, of what we're observing, nobody else. But we, we certainly stay away from the Santa thing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, that was a good point because I was devastated when I found out that there is no Santa. Yeah, that was, yeah, I was in high school, but. <laughs> You've been listening to Fresh Bread, the podcast ministry of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. For more information, go to gracegainesville.org. And thanks for listening. <laughs>